Peter Flax, journalist, covers a lot of transportation issues, follows the transportation situation in Los Angeles and the greater Los Angeles area, yes? Definitely a preoccupation one. Okay. And is that mostly what you write about, or are you involved in other projects? I write about all sorts of stuff. I'm, uh, today I was working on a story about the uh, San Jose Sharks and the 23-year-old players got a relationship with the oldest guy on the team. So I... Uh, I like telling stories, and a lot of them involve bikes um, or transportation, but I I do do write about a lot of topics. Right on. So you also spoke at the Cal Bike Summit? I did. I was was, was on a seminar. Yeah, so tell tell us a little bit about that. We wanted to get some reports from on the ground. I mean, the thing that struck me the most was just the demographic that was there. It was... You know, I'm a, well, a privileged white guy in my 50s, and I was definitely in the minority. There were tons of young people there. Um, about 50% of the attendees were women. There were tons of people of color. There were people who were interested not just in transportation, but how it intersects with other issues like housing. And so it was really... Um, a lot of energy, a lot of diversity, um, you know, really just a super interesting mix of people. Right on. That sounds like the bike scene in general. That's That's been my experience with the bike scene. It's super diverse group of people with one cause. And, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, so, I, I came from, I used to be the editor-in-chief of Bicycling Magazine and so came from, you know, this enthusiast in bike racing world and so I've seen um, sides of the bike space that are really male and white, and I know that your own experience here in LA, um, you know, has had that diversity there um, and inclusion. So I kind of see see both sides of it, but it, it, it you know it it, um, it it was great to to see and be a part of. Right on. So there was another. Uh, summit uh, what was it called the traffic summit or something it was by by uh, la moving uh, national conference is what they called it which is like a fancy name for 24 people in a restaurant talking to each other <laughs> i mean okay i mean now that being said there were some people up there with political power right like they do have some political power even though their summit was small yeah i, w- I would i would say that um that that organization um is sort of like an iceberg where what what you see above the surface doesn't look so imposing but when you look at the list of speakers um and see how you know there are folks from the cato institute which is Funded by the Koch brothers and, and organizations like the Reason Foundation and the American Dream Coalition, they're all these like um, sort of lofty sounding groups that are are all sort of funded by um, you know, the auto and gas industries, and so there's like actual power and money behind. Um, you know, they seem like nimby clowns sometimes when you hear them, but there's real power behind them. 
Yeah, totally. Um, I noticed one speaker, Jay Bieber, and was John Russo speaking, or was he just organizing? Yeah, yeah he, he, he got the, he pointed himself a panelist as well. So yeah, and Jay Bieber, who um, you know is is uh, sort of uh, one of the sort of expert clowns in LA. Right, expert gadfly. I mean, I guess we're all yeah. gadflies, but. They're trying to keep, I mean, did you listen to, I mean, did you listen to any of their, you know, their, their talks? Have you, did you yeah, get a chance yeah. to? I, I did, and it took, like, great um, perseverance that they <laughs> posted um, on Facebook the full length of the conference, and um, it was hard. I had a particular interest in um, the talk that, um, John Forrester, the sort of godfather of vehicular cycling. Right. But I listened to some others, and, and, um, you know, as someone who follows um, these groups on social media, it was really, um, you know, just a lot of the talking points I'm used to, but it was, um, you know, just in in contrast to the sort of diversity I described, at the other conference, this was really like I would have just been like a young guy at this group. It was really <laughs> white and really old, and um, you know, it, it, it was like a celebration of, of um, regressive ideas and Facebook memes. And, and there's a, like a lot of smart people there who are good at talking and good at social media. And so I don't mean to dismiss it because they're formidable in, in, in certain ways, but it's certainly like compared to a conference where there are all these um, young Latina women and young African-American men talking about how cycling and housing um, fit together. This is just people who um, want L.A.'s roads to look like 1959. Right. Yeah, and a lot of those same people, like I saw, what's her name there, um, with the AIDS Healthcare Foundation, um, I'm blanking out her name, she used to be the editor-in-chief of LA Weekly. I'm not sure. Oh, um, gosh, what's her name? But she was there, and she's, you know, she's working with AHF on housing issues, and, uh, you know, she's also involved in these traffic issues as well. And she was when she was with the L.A. Weekly, um, she basically praised Jay Bieber to no end uh, for killing the red light camera program. Right. So it's sort of related even on on their front. You know, when I I kind of not troll, but watch their pages and chime in here and there just to throw something at them but uh they definitely uh despise density they despise building more housing they they have a a a position on housing as well so yeah yeah, i mean the folks that keep la moving and restore venice boulevard if anything um in the last few months they've seemed more distracted by housing and homelessness than um, by uh, a road diet on the west side, which, um, you know, it's, it's like an interesting constellation of issues they have, and they all are um, in- interrelated. 
yeah it's it's kind of wild it's and there's a lot of agreement i think on both sides when it comes to housing i've definitely heard the yimby argument where it's like build 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 and then you know sort of the uh tenants union union argument you know for who ahf is involved with uh asking for no building you know it's it's uh and people are very passionate and i think there's a lot of confusion and it's not like i know exactly what the right answer is but um it's kind of funny that there's a lot of crossover issues and agreement that between the two movements yeah yeah it's definitely um you know like i said i think a lot of people in la you know wish they could construct a time machine to go back to another era where everyone had their own little bungalows and you could get up in the morning and drive to a job 30 miles away and and that this kind of fantasy life was still possible in 2019 when, you know, 10 point something million people live in L.A. County. And, um, and so it's interesting to watch how different people, um, you know, with different political leanings kind of come together on, on certain issues. Yeah. So, you know, uh, the only thing I could really get myself to watch of that video was John Forrester's part. And uh, John Forrester, for people who don't know, is a vehicular cyclist. And there's a movement of cyclists out there that believe that cyclists fare best when they act like cars and follow all the rules of cars and movements of cars. And they don't want any bike lanes or infrastructure. I mean, to their credit, they're, they do praise some bike infrastructure that's built like absolutely perfectly, but uh, right. yeah, and and I I agree with them on a lot of things, but they really just don't want bike infrastructure, and that's John Forster's whole thing, and that's why they invited him because they're opposed to this road diet. And what was what was funny about John Forrester is. Um, I actually like, he, he kind of trolled them. He was just basically like, hey, you guys are the reason that we have road diets and, and bike lanes because you guys can't handle, uh, as car drivers, you can't handle when a bike is taking the lane. So you you want, you know, there's there's a whole bunch of motorists out there that say, get these bikes out of the road. And, you know, what ends up happening is we build bike lanes and a lot of the bike lanes that our political leadership build are door zone bike lanes the bare minimum they actually in a lot of situations make things more dangerous which is the argument against what mike bonin did with venice boulevard and guys like john russo you know they they claim to have the statistics to prove that that road diet on venice is more dangerous than when it was a six-lane street now it's a four-lane street uh, with buffered bike lanes and before it was a six lane street with exposed bike lanes. What do you think? I mean, I, you know, I'm kind of a not math. I, I don't like to argue on statistics because I don't, I try to find the ideological argument to win because right, right, it, right. it's like statistics yeah, get manipulated, right? To your, to your credit, I've heard you um, uh, have conversations that are less like debates um, and 
this philosophical arguments or um, a better way to avoid this arm wrestling over data. Um, you know, I guess my perspective is um, that, um, you know, you can look around the world and see places where um, infrastructure um, that's well-designed um, has been put in for cyclists, and those are also, coincidentally, the countries where almost nobody wears a bike helmet, and yet the rate of participation and the rate of serious injuries um, and, and deaths and crashes are lower than um, here. And I think that, um, you know, uh, Forrester's a super interesting character to me because he got brought into these issues in the 70s in the Bay Area at a time where he had a legitimate reason to believe that um, motorist groups were trying to just get cyclists off the roads all, all together. So it's like his whole ideology is rooted in this very real struggle that he um, largely succeeded in. But now it's 40-something years later, and we can look all around the world and see how it's working in so many places. Right. And, and, and the idea that someone who you know, was bike touring in the 40s, who's just this, you know, super old man who's been a core cyclist his whole life is being sort of used as a tool by Keep LA Moving because he, you know, has remained suspicious of bike infrastructure. is just super sad and frustrating that, um, that, that like, that common ground has led to... You know, now in every road diet in America, the the NIMBYs, the John Russos of every city can always just say, like, oh, well, we, we have, like, a cyclist group who thinks this protected bike lane is a bad idea, right? And that's all right. the vehicular cyclists. And I, I sometimes ride like a vehicular cyclist, that if you're um, fed and experienced, um, that riding like a car and really imposing yourself on the road may be the safest way for me to ride, but the experience I've had here in L.A. since I moved here five and a half years ago is just this realization how for every one of me there are like ten other people who can't or won't or don't want to ride like that and that they, you know, the, that everybody needs to look out for those people um, and and John's way of thinking is just super selfish in the way that it refuses to look at people who are different than him. Right. Right. He's like, let's cater to the cyclists that are riding now versus who could be riding. He's not trying to, he's not trying to transform the, the mode share out there. He's just, he's just saying, you know, learn how to ride, learn, learn to restrict your movements to that of motor vehicles. It, this is how I <laughs> kind of say it. But it's like, it, he's, you know, they're telling you to take the lane. We got roads where people are going 45, 50, you know, miles an hour. And it's just, it just, our our safety record is just horrible. So for them to tell us, 
everything's fine. Take the lane. And there's a guy out there named Gary Zico that makes these videos of him yeah. riding. And it's like, okay. I with Gary right now. Yeah, it's just like, yeah. you know, I went to the ride on Venice Boulevard where he just insisted in taking me out into the leftmost lane of the middle of Venice in the mid-city. And I really just thought I was going to, like, crap my pants. I was just like, <laughs> you know, I, I just was not comfortable there. And it's great for him and people that, like, want to just, you know, jump out on a big boulevard at 25 miles an hour. And um, I, I, I don't even, like, dispute the fact that maybe um, rear-end car versus bike collisions are rare in that case. But if I'm terrified, then 95% of people who ride a bike are terrified. And it's just like this niche idea that, that um, just automatically restricts who's going to have fair access to the streets if we don't do something about it. Right. So, you know, John Russo's claiming that crashes are up. How do you, on Venice, what's the rebuttal? I, I just think that his data is BS, that um, I was on the original Playa del Rey um, task force that John was on. And like, like he's an aerospace engineer, and he knows how to um, take apart and, and, and manipulate data to yield a result that he wants and that there's um, data that's come from um, the Los Angeles Department of Transportation, which I dare say is a more authoritative source than him. And it it all just depends on like how you um, parse the data. And and then I'll note that like there hasn't been one serious injury crash on Venice since it was re reformed with that road diet and i've written it more than a hundred times and it and it's like not perfect but it's better than it was what do you think and, and it's like and it's like the best part about it is like it doesn't even have anything to do with like collision rates at the intersections it's like a more pleasant place to walk around and shop or noodle down the street on a bike at and, and decide which, which coffee shop you're going to spend your money at. It's just like a more livable zone before it was like a rest stop on a highway. Right. And and that's what's, that's what's funny about Venice Boulevard. I used to work over at Sony, and, you know, Venice was right there. And just yeah. all up and down Venice Boulevard, there's a lot of storefronts that sort of, I mean, at the time I worked there, this was like maybe 15 years ago, but the the storefronts were just kind of boarded up or like just not happening and you know there's a six is really a seven lane boulevard coming through there and you'd think like according to their logic all of those storefronts should have like like business happening but a lot of those storefronts were just uh non you know non uh open to the public type businesses where there once was an open to the public type business, like a market or something like that, when the train used to go through there and it was more of a walkable street. And I think it was at one point, two lanes in each direction, even with the train. Right. So we're just sort of returning Venice to its former glory. And the, you you could see when you're, when you're there, there are a lot of people, a lot of people walking, like you said, and, 
I mean, even Demetrios, the guy that said that he shut his coffee shop down because of the road diet, who's now opening another coffee shop, like a more, I guess it's a more upscale coffee shop. I don't know. But yeah. he reopened yeah, his he, coffee he's shop. Been, he's been hit, hit so hard that he's opening and investing in more businesses in the exact same yeah. complained about. So you, you can imagine how credible he, he seems at, the, at this point. <laughs> you know, it's like I, I, I can tell you the experience of riding there. Um, you know, when you ride the full length of Venice from downtown to the ocean, that it's like this five-minute part of that journey where you can feel your shoulders relax. Um, a lot of parts of Venice just have these strip malls on the side where uh, after dark people are just impatiently trying to pull out of parking lots um, onto the street and the, the bike lane um, in, in spots just feels really exposed and, and, and dangerous. And so I, I, I think I could imagine a time where the full length of Venice was a protected bike lane. Right. We can get there. I mean, yeah. it, it, the, the thing about, uh, you know, the reducing lanes also that, people really don't talk about a lot is you know that you can cross the street safer if you know when there's four lanes i mean four lanes is still dangerous there's still a lot of blind spots you know when you just use the crosswalk when there isn't a light or even when there is a light and people are turning right it, it's hairy and reducing the lane sort of it gives you less uh lanes to cross and then it sort of densifies the traffic during the non-peak hours where normally Venice during non-peak hours is a speedway, you know, and people can hit 60 miles an hour there easily. It's, it's really fast, you know. And then when you get to that, that uh, lane reduction area, it doesn't feel like you should be going fast there. I think that helps a lot, the lane reduction and a lot of the street, I don't know what you call it, street features, street furniture, that, right. that sort of, uh, you know, if you're a driver and you're just mindlessly blasting along from red light to red light at 60 miles an hour when there's no traffic, here's this thing, you got to pay attention. You know, it, I, I think it's effective for car drivers to be safe. And I'm curious if that stretch, you know, has anybody looked up the car accidents for that stretch um, in terms of like injury car accidents. Can we get some data on that? And, and it, you know, I think the winning argument philosophically is going to be like, Hey, our streets are dangerous, not only for cyclists and pedestrians, but for car drivers. And I'm in all these neighborhood groups on Facebook, kind of just checking the scene out in each neighborhood. And it is always a post about some horrific car crash and uh, everybody's like hair on fire about it and then there's sort of like everybody goes you know the the the, the prevailing like uh sentiment is car drivers need to slow down and it's like how are they going to slow down if you put them on a you're putting them on a racetrack in a race car and you're telling them to slow down like you know it's we're encouraging drivers to drive ridiculously so it's, somehow there has to be the argument made to drivers, we've got to get those people on board of like, hey, let's 
let's engineer these streets so that you so that we don't have people speeding you know yeah so. i mean i i see it you know for me um i don't know i'm guessing like since i moved here i've maybe i don't know done 40 or fifty thousand miles of just commuting around the west side and mid-city and you know all the time i'm, I'm at intersections on the big boulevards and you just see all the senior citizens or uh, moms with uh, baby strollers or young kids who are um, you know, pushing a bag button for this six or eight lane freeway light to turn. And then like it turns and the number starts blinking down from like 19 or something and they have to cross yeah. like a highway. And, and you just get the sense that um, it's not, it's not safe and it's not working and it makes um, a community just feel um like a rest stop um, in a system that's just, um, de- you know, designed decades ago with this idea that it was the fastest way to get people from one edge of the city to, to the other, and that when you re-engineer the roads, everyone's safer, and then the community starts feeling more like an actual community. Right. Not like something split up by, you know, an 80-yard-wide swath of, of freeway traffic. And noise and just random crashes happen. Yeah, I just, sometimes I can't believe the stuff I've seen of just people, you know, drive off the road and hit a bus stop, just uh, houses. People, are, it's, it's just like it needs to be engineered to be safer, and, and, it, and it's like there's examples all over the world of communities that have done this, so it's not like we're just making it up as we go along. It's, it, 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 it's like New York is just now having some major changes on the horizon because they've had a, a year where a record-setting number of cyclists and pedestrians have been killed in New York, and it's unfortunate that sometimes it takes some human sacrifices um, for change to be made, but um, you know, there's going to be um, 250 new miles of protected lanes and and millions of square feet of sidewalk added into New York City's infrastructure. And it's just a case of just like shifting the real estate so that it's better for most people. That's amazing. You know, I didn't I didn't know they were putting in a new sidewalk or widening sidewalks. Yeah, That's great. Yeah, widen, widening the sidewalks. Right? Because oh. it's like part of the challenge is if you're in Midtown, um, that a lot of the north-south avenues have these um, wonderful seeming protected lanes, but at many times of day, they're clogged with people walking because the sidewalks are so full that the pedestrians just spill into the bike lanes. And right. so um, most um, cyclists, even those who are like um, bike share people, often just jump in with the traffic anyway because there's just too much chaos. Like the protected bike lanes aren't actually protected. And, and so um, I think adding more space for people to walk is just going to be have repercussive benefits to the people walking, the people riding, to the people who own the shops. You know, it's, it's just like reclaiming the city for people who are moving slowly around it um, and experiencing it. Right, right. That's going to be amazing. I, I've definitely ridden in, in New York pre-bike lane era and also after bike lane era, and that was what was something that I noticed was you you could get pedestrians walking right and rocking right into the 
to the bike lanes like no tomorrow but yeah. uh you know oh, I mean, there's just a lot of people there and it's it's like all moving in the right direction there and that here in la that if we organize the right kind of pushback to the john Reese's of the world that we can have that kind of change accelerate here here, here too and so it's like going to be a ground battle to get there but i think we're we, you know, it's just like we will wind up there. It's just a question of like how many years or decades it'll take, and how many people unnecessarily have to get hurt or killed before that. So, what's the you know what is the ground game? What's the what's did, did you guys talk about that at the summit? Like, okay, how do we move forward? What's going to work? You know, yeah, it definitely was like in the um, the group I was in. It came up a lot, and I think. Um, you know what was interesting is is, is that um, there's not one answer. Um, you know, for someone like me, um, you know, I realize the power of storytelling, where there's just this huge swath of our um, society, our city, that just isn't interested in the data. Um, they, they're like the facts are uh, about transportation issues are are just kind of not in their top five things to worry about, which I understand, but, but stories about, um, you know, a kid like wound where people realize, Oh, like this issue, you know, has cut short the life of really interesting people. And, and that I like read a story and understand all these systemic problems that lead to a promising young kid getting killed and, and like the lack of, justice and law enforcement um you know through through stories is a, is a big way to like make an impact to a huge group of people that are necessarily passionate about the issue and then some of it just comes down to like the advocacy groups talking about like how they raise money and how they deploy tactically um like in the same way that john russo is having a conference and and ideologues from Koch Brothers-sponsored think tanks are showing up, and, like, real money from big industry is there. It's like the advocacy movement on our side needs money. It needs, needs, um, you know, to be something that's more than just this 5 or 10% group of, like, passionate, mindful people. It's, like, it's going to take, like, a real um, tactical operation and reach a larger group of people and, and to lobby in Washington all the things that um, the movement needs. Yeah. Uh, I mean, that's... <laughs> yeah. It's like... Heavy side. They have so much money behind them. I guess, is that how Jay Bieber makes money? Do you know about that guy at all? Like, he's, he's real... He's getting... He ran for cd12 and he got four thousand votes you know i gotta i gotta hand it to him he whipped people i mean that was like a fourth place finish yeah yeah that's i didn't even know he was running until like maybe five days before right you know i hadn't heard anything how did he get all those votes what you know i mean he obviously he's got you know the boomer crowd that's out in cd12 but it's like right is this guy, he works for reason? What, like, what's, you know? Yeah, I'm not, I, I honestly don't have, I, I've, like, spent a lot of time thinking about how um, the 
money might flow from certain organizations um, towards some of these, like, pro-motorist groups um, or advocates. Um, and so I, I haven't really... Um, you looked into figured, it. Yeah. ...figured out exactly what, what what's going on. But part of it is also that they're, they're smart in how they distill their anger into these ways that have, like, populist residents, right? Sure. Like, I live in Manhattan Beach, and that the road diet um, on Vista Del Mar, um, you know, was like a punch in the face to people where I live, and I understand how they're able to harness this idea of, like, living in LA and living the sort of de facto life of, like, getting in your luxury car and driving to an office 20 or 25 miles away. It's, like, pretty challenging lifestyle, like, full of frustration. And so when someone's able to harness that and go, like, oh, like, bike lanes are what's causing (laughs) that problem in your life, it's, like, I can see how it gets people fired up, right? I mean, it was... It was a stark difference for that street that uh, there was a lot of backup during the times that people pay attention, which is like rush hour, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know what's the what's the argument there? Like, you know, how do you you can't beat that back? I guess it's just like they they have a point and they have a lot of anger. And they right. got John and Ken but involved, it, and yeah, yeah, but but it, but it's like around the country, even in the U.S., you generally see that if um, the public is willing to like take a deep breath and and just like let the local DOT smooth out the the initial kinks in a road diet, that generally over time there are moderate decreases in the number of cars that use that thoroughfare right. and, and that like this initial spike of horrible traffic just smooths out. Like, like they just reorganized how rideshare and taxis are working at LAX. And this week on social, you just see people like screaming, like put it back. Like it's not working <laughs> instead of being like, no, like the horseshoe at LAX has been a disaster for decades. Yeah. And this is part of a solution. And it, it's not going to solve it instantly. And that, Sometimes you just, like, got to pause and, like, let transportation planner, you know, folks do their job and, and that, like, pulling tens of thousands of cars out of the horseshoe at LAX ultimately is going to make um, the experience of flying in and out of LAX better. And that, likewise, if people had just, like, chilled out um, on, on Vista Del Mar, then a lot of the problem would have just solved itself. Like, people would have been like, oh... Like going, driving from Manhattan Beach to a Starbucks that's five miles away is no longer a five minute drive, and I better just go to a different Starbucks or maybe use my car. Oh man! It's just like people just change their habits in a way where it's not like everyone in their car is just going to some essential, unchangeable assignation, right? There's there's lots of people who are just farting around in their car and, <laughs> yeah. and that if you like, whether it's, um, you know, congestion pricing or a road diet that like you, you can like nudge people to do something that, that makes the roads better for everybody else. But now you're talking about the government telling you how to live. 
Yeah, we're, I, I, I know. Yeah, I, just, I, mean, I, I just think the whole. I mean, the government always tells us how to live. The government is the one. They're the ones that well, put the roads there that made us have to buy these cars to travel around conveniently in the first place. Right. Like so. all the all the free market people, it's like, why don't you just like charge for parking what it actually should cost and see how that changes like how people <laughs> drive. Like this idea that I know. Like living on the west side, that I'm going to drive to Whole Foods and there's going to be a parking lot with 100 empty spaces, and then I can drive to Home Depot and there'll be right. you know, 100 empty spaces there. And it's like it's all this subsidized, um, you know, government activity to encourage driving. So it's just BS as far as I'm concerned. Right. It's, okay. So like it, it, I mean, I mean, we know we know we're right. We know we have righteousness on our side, but it's like how this it it seems like the bike movement you know for me personally what i saw was like mayor viragosa he went to bat and he put in a bunch of bike lanes and bike infrastructure and he got the ladot you know uh sort of heading in the right way and then there was this period of time where it sort of felt like um okay we won you know and eric garcetti was in and he seemed like he was going to be great but now it seems like i mean some things have been reversed um mike bonin was under threat of a recall which yeah. scared other council members so uh what is yeah, like a, what's the like path a game of shoots, it's, a, it's a game of shoots and ladders to me where where it's like the moments where it feels like we're moving up towards where we want to be and then something happens and we slide down a couple levels. And I, like I said, I, I feel super upbeat that in the end, LA is going to be reconfigured um, to be a much more livable and humane place to get around um, whatever your mode of transport is. But I um, think it's just going to be uh kind of a saga to get to that point. Like yeah. it, it's like we have bad actors like John Russo and Keep LA Moving who, um, you know, try to twist data. Um, you, you know, it's like, to me, again, it's totally understandable that they just want it to be how it was and, and that they, they, they oppose this idea of real estate being taken away cars and given to other modes, but to then twist it to try and convince people that it's like, it's dangerous for everybody, um, or, or that it like, you know, winds up hurting local businesses. Um, you know, when you start, you know, we live in an era where, where it's like, um, you know, Bannon and, 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 and Trump and Zuckerberg, where social media is just full of misinformation and everyone's kind of adored to it and, and it's happening like on this issue as well yeah unreal amounts of it's you can't i you can't trust anything it seems like so so it comes down yeah, like their strategy is just like if they say enough times yeah that crashes are up on venice boulevard then yeah. a high percentage of people who are going to be like well i don't i just it seems like conventional wisdom that the trashes have gone up yeah and they, right, they don't like even have to be. More than they just have to say it, and there's a lot of cultural and political power there that agrees with them, like homeowners, yep. like the older folks, right? Boomers that were sort of raised on car culture, 
are still in control and they still vote and they still matter probably most to the politicians. Yep. You know, those are the folks who show up at community and, and, and council meetings and people who depo- vote dependably. So it's like they're an important demo, unfortunately. And, and that's the thing is like, they do show up. They, they show up. It's funny. They showed up at that BRT meeting at Metro the other week. Uh, we were talking about this last week, the Nordoff BRT. Bieber right. got John Lee to pay for a shuttle to, or a bus to bring everybody down there. And I was like so tempted to just go over there and take a photo of them and get on the bus with them and be like, how do you guys like this bus? Yeah. What do you yeah. think? Bus to yeah. get across town. Yeah, bus. Incredible. Yeah. But it's like, who has, you know, who we need people to have the time to do stuff like this. Like get, that's how the bike lobby got where it got. I mean, people were showing up, people were showing up at all these public comment meetings. And I just feel like that fervor is not quite there anymore or something. I don't know. Maybe it's just me. Maybe I'm removed, but it it, it definitely matters yeah i saw a lot of young people a couple weeks ago who are pretty passionate about these issues and i just think um you know it, it just requires fresh blood too right yeah so, i was at, yeah. we had um we had some folks on from uh sunset for all i don't know if you heard that episode yeah, but yeah. they're great they're young they were smart they were motivated i was stoked to see them like even as somebody that wasn't totally stoked on their plan it's you know i think more important that they're just going for it and i'm like all right do it you know they're going to move both bike lanes they want to move both bike lanes to one side of the street and i'm kind of like you know i I need to get to the to the the uh the the black cat you know or something and that's across the street but at the end of the day it's going to be a safer configuration for eight to eighty you know, versus right, war- right. warrior types like myself. I'll just take the lane, you know? Right. And that's, and that's fine. I think that it's like for the sort of like roadie types and the high, you know, the high experience, high speed group that, um, you know, to realize it's not about you necessarily and about just sort of this broader culture and community that you're a part of. So. Right. Well, right on. You know, I know you wanted to get out of here at seven. It's already seven fifteen. I'd love to keep talking about other issues, but I don't. I also don't want to. Let's just talk again then. I, I I do have to roll, but um, I'd love to talk more with you. Yeah, absolutely. We should have you back on the show. I'm trying to. Nick's kind of Nick's out there. He's listening right now, but he's got he's got a family going on right now. So it's I'm I'm taking over a little bit here, but. Um, we're bringing people in. Uh, you know, last week we had the mayor of Culver City, which was amazing to yeah. me. She's she's totally on yeah, board. Col- what's happening in Culver? What she's doing is is great. It's definitely like a keystone in in LA right right now. I think. Yeah, uh, it's like Santa Monica, Culver City, Long Beach seems to be doing good stuff yep. still. You know, it's like these smaller communities. Even Burbank. I was working in the planning department at Burbank for a little while with uh my friend Corey who uh you know when we were in there the like the people in there were very bike friendly it's just that the council was a little bit um you know anti-bike there was a couple 
people on the council that were sort of stalling things and there was a lot of frustration in the planning department around it. So that was pretty promising. It seems like the small cities uh, tend to do better, I guess, when it comes to yeah, bike it's pedestrians. It's easier, I think. Yeah, okay. Cool. Well, uh, do you have any uh, things you want to promote? Any uh, projects coming up you're going to throw out to the, no, no, to but the if world? No, like, want to Google, I have a, uh, uh, like an 11,000-word Q&A with John Forster that sort of dovetails to what we were talking about. Really? Just sitting on medium, I like went down to San Diego to his house and uh, spent a couple hours chatting with him. So if people want to like get in deep on that, that's like I pretty, totally want to hear that. Deep with them. yeah, it's, it's check it out. It's a recording or is it? What, how no, do we, no, it's just a text. It's a text to and I. Where do we get on that? What's the web address? Just, Google. Uh, if you just, Peter Flax, John Forrester. Peter Flax, John Forrester. I'm sure you'll find it. Okay, let me Google that for you. All right. Well, All right. Thanks, Peter. You, yeah, I really appreciate okay. it. Would love to have you back on, you know, anytime. Okay, sounds good, man. Okay, take care. Bye-bye. All right, that was Peter Flax, a writer, and he writes about transportation issues in Los Angeles and cycling, and yeah, I guess he's the former editor of Bicycling Magazine, which is a big deal. You know, he's one of the voices out there, one of the stronger voices out there that really stick up for pedestrian, cycling, public transit options that we can have in Los Angeles as opposed to sitting in traffic in a car. And I say this as somebody that drives cars. I drive a car. I drove a car here. It's very sad. I mean, I rode 30 miles earlier today, but I drove here. And I'm going to throw on a little music, take a break, and we'll see if we can get some callers. All right, y'all. Let's rock. Hey, don't put me on the air. It's Joni. I just wanted to say I was listening. Hey, wait, hold on. Who is it? Joni? Yeah. Hey, you got to be on the air. No. Yeah. I just heard the tail end of it. And you Come said, on. I hope somebody's listening. So I said, okay, I'm listening. <laughs> you definitely have to get in. Hey, I'm on air right now. Oh, my gosh. It's Joni Young. <laughs> we have a superhero on the phone. <laughs> <laughs> Joni, you are a badass. I know that's what you said. I'm thinking, like, how am I a badass? <laughs> I mean, I see you. I've ridden with you. Okay, listen. You know, it's maybe, maybe it's not uh, kosher to really talk about people's age, but <laughs> I'm you, a boomer. You're a boomer. I'm a boomer. You are a rare I'm, breed of boomer. You're a very I'm rare. Breed. a boomer. Yes, you are. Yeah. And you ride like a maniac. Like you could probably kick my ass. You can kick no. my ass right now. Yeah, I'm not. I'm trying to get back in shape. I did 30 miles today. But I know you did better than me. I did three. Okay, you're one. You live in Santa Monica, first of all. So that's a, a, like the, everything in that city is three miles away, right? Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, I mean that's that's a bikeable, walkable city. That's that's a really great city if you can if you have the the luck of being able to live there, right? You know, actually, there was one day um, 
early on this year after I got injured. I was trying to do some bike riding to get back on the bike, but I didn't want to go very far from home just in case I was in pain or something. At least I could get back home right away. So my whole goal was to ride on every street in Santa Monica that had a bike lane or a Sharrow's. And it took me two whole days to do it. I think Ah. I rode about... I think I rode at least 30 miles, if not 60. I can't remember. <laughs> it's, on, it's on Strava somewhere. Wow. I went, on, I went on every street north and south and every street east and west, and now, it took me two whole days to do it. Now, you are, okay, you're a boomer, and you are riding your bike beyond Santa Monica. I'm seeing you ride your bike to Pasadena, right, to the valley. Yeah. I've seen yeah. you ride, and you're doing this almost... I see you doing this almost every day. It seems like on social media. Uh, maybe I'm. Well, maybe it's magnified um, in my head because I'm such a non-biking flop right now. But you are. I mean, okay. So you're doing how many miles a week? Uh, anywhere from a hundred to hundred fifty. Wow. Okay. So you're doing it. You know, when you, we when we're in public comment, and there's a ton of people talking and the one thing that everybody says is you know i can't do it in la it's too far you're doing it you you are doing it you are commuting by bike so everybody needs to sit down and shut up because joni (laughs) is doing it well you know honestly like for example yesterday yesterday was halloween i wanted to go from santa monica to west la to a doctor's appointment to westwood because there were free burgers at Denny's. Ah. And so so I was on, you know, food always will get me anywhere. But um, so <laughs> I'm riding along Ohio, and all the cars are at a dead stop, because everybody wants to leave work early, because they have to take their kids trick-or-treating, or they have oh to get to their God. Halloween party, or whatever it is. So they were, they were gridlocked. Cars were not moving, and I j- just zipped right past them on my bike. It's like, <laughs> later. You know, and I got to where I was going in the same time it takes all the time, whether or not there's any traffic, because I don't get stuck in traffic. That, it was great. That is a so, very important point that people don't talk about a lot is that on a bike or, you know, rail transit too, your trip is, you know, it might be a little longer, but it's consistent. Like, mm-hmm. you know, you're going to get there in 45 minutes, whether there's traffic or not. Right. Right. I mean, what I might do is ride a little bit more carefully because a lot of cars, when they get impatient, sitting in line wherever they are, they'll try to find a way to get out of there. So they might make a sudden turn. You know, they might try to drive in the bike lane. And I've seen that happen. And I've yelled at them like, you are not a bike. What are you doing driving in the bike lane? (laughs) I've seen those posts on social media, too. You. Yeah. You have the anger, too, you know? You got the anger. <laughs> you're a well, very, you know. very happy person, very happy, and you're, you, you seem, I mean, you just act young, vibrant. You're riding so far everywhere, like, and you recovered from your injury so quickly. I mean, that's, I that's amazing. People, people your age don't, American, like, I don't know, Americans, the average American is not doing this. And should well, be. It, start, it helps to be in good physical condition before getting hit by a car. Right. Um, if if, if <laughs> my you know my muscles, my bones, whatever were in bad shape, obviously it would have taken longer. But uh, you know, I tried to bounce back as soon as possible because I knew 
that uh, just sitting around is not going to help. I mean, I did physical therapy every other day. I probably did more physical therapy than most people would normally do, only because I couldn't work because I was disabled. Yeah, now, okay, A, this is, isn't this just upsetting that, you know, like you, you're doing it and you got hit and... Tell us more about about that. It's just that it's people want to get into it. They want to do it. But exactly what happened to you, exactly what happened to me. I, I was hit, hit and run. And it's sort of like we all have these stories and it just puts that doubt in a person's head that hasn't done it before. You know, ride bikes in traffic and all that stuff. T- take us through what happened with your with your crash. Well, mine was basically, I was riding on Wilshire Boulevard, which sounds horrific, it sounds really scary, but it was New Year's Eve, and nobody, it was the time of day where everybody was probably home getting ready to go out. So there, were, there wasn't really anybody on the road. Which so afternoon, afternoon on Wilshire? 5.30 in the afternoon. Okay, and you're heading west or east? I was headed east. Okay. I just wanted to pick up some food to eat, because I was planning on going out that night, and I didn't want to be riding around when all the drunks are out on the road. So I was going to actually go with a friend. We were going to carpool. That way I could leave my bike at home and be safe in a car or feel safe in a car anyway. And so I was biking like, you know, two, three miles away, grab some food, go home and eat. And I was all by myself on the road. And all of a sudden this car cuts me off. And as it turns out, and I don't really know if I can talk about it much because, you know, we're still dealing with it. But he basically made a U-turn in the middle of the street and claims that he didn't see me, and we collided. And I mm. hit the, the ground hard, and when I hit my hip, it shattered my pelvis oh. and cracked in two places. Oh, my God. So it was just like I was enjoying it. You know, there was nobody out there. I was in a holiday spirit. Oh, <laughs> my God, it was going to be a new year. What was I going to do that year? But, I mean, I ride the streets so often, so many times that I'm always watching. Like, no matter what, I'm never distracted. I'm always watching. Stay so to see a car alert. in yeah. front of me, like, within one or two seconds, and I could I mean, I tried to jam on my brakes, but he was just right there. Oh. So I couldn't avoid him. I mean, I tried, but you can only do so much. So, you know, um, uh, the thing is, I went, to the, I went to the ER, and the first question, obviously, was, were you wearing your helmet? Well, like, oh, duh. God. Were you I wearing a foam right hat to protect yourself against a 2,000-pound, two-ton know, machine? Right. <laughs> yeah. right. Oh, at least you didn't say, were you wearing any, like, high-vis clothing, whatever. And I said, I had lights. I had Christmas lights all over my body. <laughs> it, I had flashing lights. I had my headlight. I had my tail light. I had all kinds of lights because I was in the holiday spirit. Yes. So Literally, I, you, you had know, Christmas lights on you. I had Christmas lights. <laughs> okay. But anyway, so, you know, so that's the thing. But now, I mean, I ride and I'm still, you know, one of the things they say is when you're thrown off a horse, get back on the saddle. And so I just did not want to have this fear in me because I knew I wanted to get around my bike and I didn't want it to scare me from ever doing it again. Right. So the moment I was physically able to get back on my bike, I did. And that's when I was saying I was just doing all these the bike lane thing around Santa Monica because I feel safe when I'm home. They have bike lanes, they have sharrows, and I just wanted to get the miles on my legs and just, you know, just keep riding. You are a dynamo. You're a dynamo because even just in being fearless, like when I got hit, I was out for about a month 
And mm-hmm. I still am scared. It still is in my head. You know, every once in a while, it was a lot in my head when I mm-hmm. first got back on the bike because I got plowed into from behind at high speed. Oh. And, and uh, the guy took off too, but I caught his ass with the help of the. I know you were bikes. lucky. Yeah, I, I I was like, well, yes, I was lucky, but I I I was lucky that my head was facing the the side that he drove around me on, which I was able to get his plate. I was laying in the middle of the road, shocked, totally shocked, thrown off my bike. I had like crushed his hood. And uh, I just knew he was going to take off because two months before, there there was a hit and run at like maybe four, three, 300 feet, not less than that, across the intersection that resulted in a guy getting killed right there on Glendale wow. Boulevard. And we had a die-in uh, with Stephen Box. Stephen Box organized that. And, oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And that was in my head. And I was like, I got I to get the plate. I got to get the plate. And I looked and I saw the plate and I just said it out loud and repeated it over and over, chanting it until I could get my phone out and tweet it. You know, wow. I, I encourage everybody out there. It, it's insane when you get hit, but try to keep your wits and try to try to get something, some clue, something before you, you know, collapse. Like write it in blood on the street if you can't reach your phone or whatever. I don't Jeez. know. Try it. Somehow get that clue because that was the only thing we had. And uh, luckily enough, one of the members of the bike community on Midnight Riders Forum saw the tweet and had his friend in the CHP look it up. Because when I called the cops, they were like, they were like, like annoyed that I called. You know, I called them the next day when yeah. I got out of the hospital. I was like, all right, tell me the story. You know, how did it go down? Like, Dude, you know, you busted the door down, kids screaming, wife running. What happened? Tell me the story. And they're like, we didn't even run the plates yet. No. Uh, like, you, oh, you guys, it's in the shop right now, you know. And it turned out it was right. in the shop. Anyway, yeah, it's, oh. it's, 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 you know, and then there's inspirations like you, Johnny. Like, you're so inspiring. Well, you know, there's an interesting story. I just ran into my next door neighbor. He was hit. He was re- He was hit on San Vicente Boulevard near Bundy. And if anybody knows San Vicente Boulevard on the west side, that is a heavy cyclist bikeway. Okay. A lot of a lot of roadies ride Santa Ma- uh, San Vicente because, you know, they just ride that to go up in the mountains, to go on PCH. It's just a common place. So he right. was riding. The bike lane starts right there, right? Like, yeah, yeah. There's a bike lane there. And he apparently got hit by a car. And he hit his head and cracked his helmet and, and ended up in the ICU. And, and he's been in rehab, and he just came home this, mu- this week. Oh, my He was in God. rehab for four months. Oh, my God. And he does not remember a thing. No bone in his body broke. Huh? He just cracked his head. Oh, but man. because of that, you know, it affected his brain, and so he's lost the memory. He had to relearn how to walk and all oh that. Oh, my God. See, we're, yeah. we're, here we are on Bike Talk, and these stories keep coming up. What the heck are we going to do? And the Uh-oh, your phone. Now, he wasn't able to get the license plate, uh, but he was able to render aid and call an ambulance, and that's why he's still alive. Oh, another, did you say, your phone kind of cut out. 
Did you oh, say another sorry. cyclist found him? Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah it's... So he ended up at the hospital. You know, it's just like, it's like, there's so many, there's so many angles that this battle, so many fronts on this battle, right? Like, yeah. This is a whole other thing, hit and runs. We're in the hit and run capital of the world. Yep. And that is a whole other, I've learned so much about hit and run, the situation, the law, you got to have witnesses, it's going to mm-hmm. come down to a jury trial. They're not the, the DA and the CA are not. They're reluctant to move forward, and the cops know that the DA and the CA are reluctant to move forward, and they discourage you from making a report. You know they'll they'll mm-hmm. get a report if you're if you're badly injured or you die. If you die, they do go into like investigation mode, and they do find hit and run drivers. You know. Mm-hmm. I've seen a fair amount. I don't know what the stats are, but, you know, I do know that 1,200-plus cyclists and pedestrians are hit every year. That's three or four a day, every day, hit-and-run victims. And that's just reported, you know, with the cops out there discouraging you. That's how many still get reported. And uh, it's like this. it's just a whole other thing that's got to get taken care of. And it just seems like like the whole, you know, it just seems like so much. Tell me about the bike summit. You were there. You were volunteering, right? Yeah, I did. Um, I that's uh, that's our hope, right? The the bike summit, the the political, you know, the political minds getting together, and we're going to do this somehow. Well, the thing is, you know, you have people from all over the country. I'm, I'm not sure how far people were coming from, but, mm-hmm. you know, people, some people had traveled to get there. And it's all about sharing ideas and sharing what's going on in your neck of the woods versus, you know, obviously it was a lot, it was L.A. centric because it was, you know, um, located in L.A. And there were bike rides and people got to find out, you know, some people rode the L.A. River and they had never done it before. And they thought that was really interesting. And I know love the LA I think River. there was there was a ride, I think, in Santa Clarita, all the bike, you know, bike trails out there. And so, you know, you got to introduce people to places that they hadn't been to, which is kind of cool. And, um, you know, sharing ideas. It was it was it was good. I only got to attend one day of the whole of all three, though. I'm okay. Kind of sad about that. Um, I'm just so like, obviously, like, I just chose what I wanted. I mean, I spent a lot of time volunteering and and not not bike summit, but just like volunteering in the bike community and organizing mm-hmm. bike rides and organizing political actions with guys like Stephen Box and Alex Thompson and uh uh you know there was just um we 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 did get places with things by just showing up and being incessant hecklers in in a way yeah. it sort yeah. of got the politicians like on edge about us and right. uh you know that that sort of drains you, and then it's like it's up to the next generation to come come in and do it. And what is what are the prospects looking like? What what do you feel? What do you think the next five years is going to look like for the bike oh. lobby? I don't know. You know, it's kind of hard to say. Like you say, you know, you do what you do, do it, do it, and after you just feel beat up because 
you know, it's one thing about trying to advocate for something, but then you get badmouthed by people and they try to say you're wrong. They try to say you're delusional. They try to say whatever it is. It doesn't make sense. This is L.A. How can you not? you know, um, favor the car over bicycles. Not that many people ride bikes. Why would you want to devote a whole bike lane to them? Right. Uh, blah, 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 blah. You can't get very far. What do you think? And of course, you know, I'm one of those people that can ride 20 miles to get somewhere. And it's like, I do it Woo! because, because I hate traffic. I hate pay- paying for parking. And if I get tired, there's always the train or the bus. You, know? you get tired. Get out of here. Don't lie on the air here. If this is Okay. <laughs> There's a lot of people listening. You're going to be held accountable for this. <laughs> or, you know, I don't like riding by myself late at night. So I'll, you know, I'll take the train. I'll put my bike on the train. I mean, a lot of times, let's say I'll end up in downtown after 9 o'clock at night. And even if I could ride home, I just don't want to because it's late at night. Cars aren't paying attention. They may not see me because they'll say they don't see me. Right. And I don't want to get hit. So I just feel it's safer, you know, put my bike on the expo and just go home i'm in the same boat and and there's that's that's a a key part of this too is riding at night is i don't know how much more dangerous it just feels more dangerous i was hit at night sounds like you were hit after dark yeah it was about yeah it was about dusk dusk it had just gotten dark that's that's a very dangerous time it is. Yeah, people you were, are, are trying to acclimate from being able to see to not being able yeah, to see. Yeah, your eyes, I guess, from what I've read, don't adjust as fast as the sun sets or whatever. Yeah, but, but the sun had already set. I mean, it was dark at sh- that point. Yeah, and you had your lights, and I had my lights, and still, you know, this stuff happens. And it's just like, it's how are we going to get to the promised land? I The promised land for me... Is the have you ever been to the Netherlands, Joni? No. You need to go out there. I know. Oh, not Can as I a bike. Fund me to buy me a ticket to go. <laughs> oh, hey, listen. We should actually. I'm going to talk to my friend Juan Devis over at KCET. I don't know if he's uh-huh. still interested in bike stuff, but he used to do little documentaries for KCET on Midnight Riders and Wolfpack Hustle and everything. And it's like, let's start doing. Last week, we had the director of Motherload, which is about moms and bucket bikes. And it's oh, yeah, like, okay. w- we need to get one for you, Joni, because you, I don't know, I see you on the marathon crash ride. I see you riding around like you have a lot of energy. I want to be like you when I grow up. Like, I hope you're not taking <laughs> this the wrong way. Like, no, <laughs> you no. just have this energy. And I'm going to put God on a limb and say it, a lot of it has to do with bikes. I mean, I'm sure you've been this way your whole life, but the the bikes keep you agile, right? Well, I was a marathon runner, too, before I got Oh, oh okay, okay. So you've been doing this all – you've been keeping active all your life. Yeah? No, 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 not, not all my life. I'd say probably starting in my mid-30s. Okay. Uh, before that, it's like – what exercise? Me? Exercise? <laughs> Why would I want to do that? You know? Right. Um, but, um, yeah, once I had my kids, I said, well, I got to do something. And so <laughs> I, I ran marathons. And then Amazing. I, did, I did yoga every day. And so I'm, I was in pretty good shape. So when I decided to take up cycling, 
you know, I had the stamina, I had the endurance, and so, hey, let's do this. And I was just, you know, getting over the fear, obviously, of riding a bike with traffic. Right. Oh, that's the biggest one. And it's just, why? I mean, it's, uh, I, I get befuddled whenever we start getting into this. But, I mean, I know other, there's other people in the cycling community that are your age, that are boomers. Uh-huh. Um, uh-huh. let's name some names. I, you know, Rich Reisenberg is a person that I think of. Do you know him? Do you know Mr. Yeah. And you know, Mr. Rollers. Mr. Mr. Rollers, Rollers is like, obviously. yeah, I think he's like 60 or something like that. Or well, 60. yeah, we're all about the same age. Am I blowing people up? I shouldn't blow people up, but you guys got to be <laughs> proud. This is like, I swear to God, I, I sat around my house for about a year, kind of just being in a cave with my cat. And, and doing things around the house. And I stopped riding and I started like losing my, my what I built up over the years in, in riding bikes with Wolfpack and so forth. And I just mm-hmm. like a couple of weeks ago, I made the decision I'm going to start riding every other day, like 30 miles, do like a loop around Balboa See, Park. that's a lot. Yes, I, mean, I just I did it today. I I was doing my birthday ride in December. And yes. we were riding to the valley, and we invited you to join us, and I you came for that. a while, yes. and you were saying, I haven't been on my bike in a while, God, yeah. this, feels, this feels weird, yeah. and somehow that lit the spark under you, and you started riding again that, after that, so see, that was all you needed was to get you on your bike. That was you, that was you. You did it. But you we, sparked but you me. you had so much fun riding with us. And you say, why am I not doing this anymore? Well, it was also, I'll tell you, the defining moment of what sparked, a, like, lit a fire under my ass was the sight of my ass. Uh, there was, like, a photo <laughs> of me and you riding that someone took from behind. And there was, like, I was muffin topping and my ass crack was out because my pants were, like, not big enough to get around it. I was like, oh, my God. Jesus Christ. <laughs> this is horrifying. I got to do something about this. And, okay, and finally, this is the guy who did the, what was it, the bike versus jet? <laughs> bike versus jet. To be fair, I didn't race that one. We had our elite racers. Oh, I only organized it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. We beat the okay. jet, but I wasn't you on the team. You beat the jet. Uh-huh. I, no, there was a. I've I I held my own on Wolfpack. Our Wolfpack hustle rides. We were doing sixty miles Monday nights, fast. And I know. Yeah, we would do things like somebody. It, we got to the point where I knew every route. I we used to scout the routes, like years back. But by year five or seven or something, like I could just make up a route. And somebody, people would show up and they'd be like, "All right, where are we going tonight?" And somebody would say, "Long Beach." All right, let's go. Boom. Monday night, 10 p.m., Long Beach and back. And it was like, oh, I want those glorious days back, those sexy, glorious yeah. days. Oh, Got to get away from the muffin top. It's still there. I'm working on it. Oh, well. Well, you know, to be fair, I, I actually drove today. Oh, did you? You have a car? Well, I have a car. I have to oh. drive it like once a month. Otherwise, I kill the battery like I did. Um, last year, I didn't drive my car for three months. I tried <laughs> to start it, wouldn't start, and I thought, "Oh, maybe I left the light on or something." So yeah, you know, it just I drains. Called AAA, 
they jump-started it. I was able to drive. I turned off the engine. I tried to turn it back on, and it was dead. Yeah. And I called AAA again, and he said, you know what? You killed your battery. It, you have to drive it. Yeah. That's, did they do that by design? Is this another conspiracy, the auto lobby, that you have no, to drive? I think it's just one of these things know, with the battery. Just... You have to charge it up so every so often, or it just has a slow leak, a slow drain, and I then know. it's dead. I've totally done that. I've totally not driven my car for weeks and weeks, and it not start, and I kill the battery. I've done yeah, that. Yeah, it's... And, and the only reason why I drove it is because I had all these bottles uh, that I was trying to recycle, and I was curious to see how much money I would get uh, trying <laughs> to sell it back to the recycling place versus just dumping, dumping it in the recycling bin. Ah, so okay. it was an experiment. I filled two bottle, two bags, two trash bags, and had to drive it over. <laughs> we got to get you a bike like trailer. A person, I know there is a guy. I, under- I understand why people hang them off their bikes now because you know how else are you going to take it? Yeah, there there is a guy on some of the group rides that has a trailer bike, and he collects cans from everybody. He like asks for people's cans. And I assume he goes and recycles them and gets a little money for it. My yeah, mom used yeah. to do that. Oh, man. I remember her going. Well, you we, know, we, as it turns out, I did it, <laughs> and I got enough to pay for my gas. Will be. So. <laughs> uh, really? <laughs> that, that was it. <laughs> so the net was zero. Uh, okay. Well, Whatever. so it wasn't worth driving a car. No, but then at least <laughs> my car got, you know, went for a ride. So my car is happy. Okay. Yeah, you got to keep those things fresh or they die. I yeah, have yeah, I yeah. have two SUVs and uh, I don't drive even for somebody who lives in the valley. I don't drive much, but I I drive and uh, I'm just I have these two old like kind of junky not junky but just they're just old and I'm trying to use them up to the last drop. You know? Yeah, that's my car. I have a 20 year old car. Yeah, and and I drive. Very cautiously, and it's called hypermiling. You probably also know about that, or? I don't know. Oh. What do you do? Well, what I do is I drive like an old man. And when I say old man, I'm talking about my old man, my dad, who, yeah, when when I was a kid, he was like a, he was a depression-era guy. So, you know, he was, he was pretty old when he had me. And he, so his values... He was, you know, he was a conservative, but mm-hmm. he was the kind of conservative that was like, di- you know, it was like frugal, you know. Uh-huh. And so he would drive in what's known as hypermiling style, which means you're trying not to stop and you're trying not to press on the gas. You're just trying to keep, use as little gas and energy That's as possible. Right. You, you don't want to gun it. You kind of want right. to go at a consistent rate, maybe like 50 miles per hour or something uh, like much, that. Much less. Much, oh, did even you, less did you say, Did you say 15 or 50? 50. I was thinking like when you're on the freeway, you just kind of want to oh, stay no, I'm talking, barely above, you know. Right. You On the freeway is a little different philosophy because there's no pedestrians and cross traffic, in my opinion. Well, true. But on the surface streets... What, uh, you know, hypermiling is, is like instead of which everybody in L.A. does. In fact, everybody that I've seen in the United States does this. They race up to a red light, jam on the brakes, wait 15 seconds for the green, and then they go. And and they're rushing up to the next red light. 
this is our culture here. And this is why bike riders seem so like threatening to this culture because we're, we're riding at like 15, 12, mm-hmm. 20 at best miles per hour, you know, and it's like we're in the way because they're rushing to the next red light. You're, you probably get that. You probably somebody speeds past you and then they stop at the red light and you catch up to them. Right. You've mm-hmm. done that leapfrogging. And it's like, you know, you look at them and you're like, you rushed past me, put my life in danger by passing me close at high speed. And now you're at this light and I'm right here, you know. I'm, exactly. Yes. It happens all the time. So what I do as a driver is I drive and I time the lights so that I try never to stop, you know. So I look ahead at the light. Oh, yeah. yeah. And, and yeah. I will drive slow and i don't care what anybody behind me thinks you probably annoy the heck out of everybody it's kind of gives me a little bit of like fun and glee you know as like a bike activist to like get in this person's head but there are a lot of people that actually end up driving slower and are fine with it and they they keep their space they're not on my ass trying to make a statement or driving around me and we make the green light and we just we just go it's like it's like the Bob Ross of driving. You know, you're like wafting around and then you're like, oh, the thing. <laughs> well, you know, it's also more fuel efficient in the long run. You yeah. know, stop and go, stop and go uses a lot of gas. So if you're just going at a consistent speed, then, you know, you're, you're more efficient. Well, what blows people's minds is that that consistent speed is mostly about 20 miles an hour. Maybe and 25. That's the thing. A lot of these lights are timed so you go at a certain pace. Right. They try. It's usually around the speed limit anyway. No, it actually isn't because the speed it's limit slower. is set. Yeah, this is this is part of the. There's a lot of confusion out there about this. You know, this the speed limits are not set by engineers saying, okay, the average trip speed through this urban grid right here, you know, according to Google data is. 25 miles an hour you can go to google and set the time mm-hmm. for 3 a.m when there's no traffic and your commute across an urban grid will still only be 20-ish miles an hour some streets get a little bit faster like topanga canyon i noticed or maybe roscoe out in the mm-hmm. valley but mm-hmm. you generally can't get a higher trip speed than 20-ish 25 because it's a traffic grid, it's not exact, there's lights, there's cross traffic that needs to be prioritized as well. Like there's east, west, north, south routes that they're trying to fit more cars on. It's impossible to get this thing timed for much more than 20-ish, 30-ish miles an hour. But Mm -hmm. they set the speed limits according to this 85th percentile law where it's like, the speed limits are set by the prima facie, the 85th percentile uh, of the average speed of that road. So the drivers set the speed and they're the ones that are driving 35 miles an hour, then 45 miles. They're in cars that are so, these cars are so fast now, you know, it's like Mm -hmm. two, 300 horsepower. Why? I don't know. Everybody should be in golf carts really, but they're driving so fast and they, they set the speed limit. So you got a speed limit that's ridiculous between two reds, two red lights. That's forty-five miles an hour. It's twice the average speed. They're encouraging us with these giant signs, telling us to drive fast. 
This is what the LED OT does. But then also means that you're guaranteed to stop at the light. Maybe. You stop at the light. You might. You might not. You might try to run that. There's, you know, like, I've seen people run red lights, right? Like, at high speed because they, I don't know. Because they, they don't want to stop. Yeah, they don't want to stop. So I, I also have some theories about that, too, as, like, they need to, they need to give drivers, like, this is something that I've been thinking about. Tell me what you think about this, Johnny. You know, the, the, as a driver, what I have a trouble with, especially out in the valley, but in other places, is I can't tell what stage the light is sometimes. Like if I'm turning onto a street, I want to know what stage that light is. Do I need to, you know, step it up a little bit to get past it on the green? Or do I need to slow way up because it's about to go red? I have no idea. Uh... The way that I know is I see the the crosswalk signal right exactly. the, the countdown right. everybody right. does that now there's a lot of streets that default to the red hand and right. i've talked to people i've even talked to mitch englander about this i give that guy credit he actually gave me a call i'm like a huge gadfly in his district and we talked about it and it's like you know this would be a win for pedestrians and drivers if we could get every single signal in los angeles to just default to the walk sign and give us an honest countdown you know give us an honest countdown that tells you when the light's going to go red so i can time it better you know oh yeah for and, sure no i'm all for that and pedestrians have wanted the pedestrian advocates for a long time have all wanted there to be a default walk sign you know yeah. instead of having to press the beg button you just get a walk sign why can't we do that? Well, that happens to me a lot of times when I'm walking, I'm approaching a light, and I see that it's about to change, and I, so I start walking faster, and because I didn't push the button in time, it's a don't walk. Yeah. And so now I'm, now I'm at a you know, quandary, like, will I walk when it's green, but could get a ticket because I'm walking on a don't walk? I mean, why did right. you just change to green? Yeah. To a walk. That's great. Then that would be like, I'm, so I'm for that, just like you. How do we get in touch with, you know, Joni, you, you get involved. You are involved in the Bike Summit. You were involved in LACBC. Like, get let's let's talk. What do we got to do? How do we get uh, Garcetti or whoever, you know, the, I guess the Saletta Reynolds maybe from the LADOT to do like a pilot so we can get these walk signs? Like, come on, this will make LA a much more pedestrian-friendly place. If all the signals would default to walk signs, and then as drivers, I know what stage that light is in. That helps the drivers, too. Well, I wonder. I mean, the other thing is to find out why do they not do that. Well, because they're they're trying to... I, I talked to Tim Fermo about this. They're, one is that it's like considered to be poor design philosophy, but, you know, to, to have a a something that functions as a pedestrian uh communication also be repurposed to communicate with drivers so they have a problem with that as engineers but hmm. um i disagree i think that the that if a driver is looking at that uh walk sign that's putting their eyes where there are pedestrians you know i say it puts the focus on that crosswalk and you're going to see the countdown, but you might also see some pedestrians. 
And I think that's good. I think drivers hmm. too often just look straight ahead, you know, tunnel vision. And oh, yeah. I think it's yeah. a good idea to get drivers looking to the side of the road. So that's my one argument for like, hey, let's repurpose this this crosswalk countdown for drivers so that they could be safer. But whatever. Yeah. Uh, uh, the other thing was is that they they favor certain roads at certain times of the day, and a pedestrian crossing the street screws up their whole scheme. For I think so. Yeah, they, it slows it down. They want to flush drivers through as fast as possible, and mm-hmm. you know they don't care. You, you know, so it, it's just like we. I don't know. I want to get this idea out there somewhere. I've talked to Mitch Englander. I talked to uh, LAPD motocop Troy Williams. They were both on board. It was just like, I don't know what to do with this at this point. Maybe I talked to a couple other people, but it's anyways, this is just an idea I had. I don't know. I didn't mean to get off on a tangent here with you, Joni. That's okay. Well, you obviously know more people than I do. I think you get involved. I mean, you stick your nose out. <laughs> Joni, it's been great having you on. I'm so glad you called. I well, I just like I said, I just wanted to let you know that somebody was listening, <laughs> and I want to say hi oh, to Nick. Nick, if, if you're out there listening, yeah, Nick. I know he's uh, he's at home, I think, and he is uh, doing his daddy <laughs> duties. He's doing his daddy duties. Yeah. I know. Yeah. He has like a one year old now. Yeah, isn't it crazy, Penelope? I know. Yeah, he's. He's living the dream. It's so cool. So uh, I, I love it. I was, I was telling Nick that that he's a, a blessed man. So I get to see him whenever we do the street librarian ride, which I don't oh. join very often, but I do every now and then. Okay, quick, let's talk about that real quick. Tell us about that ride. The, <laughs> what is it officially called? Ride. Yes, it's called the street librarian ride, and the whole purpose behind that. And I don't remember. How it started, it started some time ago. It was Nick, and we would meet at uh, Stories Books on Sunset in Echo Park. Okay. And uh, Rick Reisenberg was another one. Uh, Rick yes. Reisenberg is a writer, and, well, Nick was doing Bike Talk. And so what we would do is that we would get books uh, from sometimes, sometimes Stories would donate books that, uh, you know, they were willing to give up. And what we would do is go to the different little libraries in the area and drop off books. Because the whole idea of the little library is so people can borrow a book, drop off a book, and, you know, get people to read, which is always a good thing. (laughs) So we would bike along Sunset and uh, stop at, there was a school out there, I forgot the name of the school. It's like um, a grammar school. And then we'd stop in front of Intelligentsia, and they had one there. And there was another one in the neighborhood. So, you know, they would find them. I think it was usually Rick who would find them. And we would end up at the Eco Village, and there's one right there, too. And it was really a short thing. We basically socialize at stories, go to the back patio and have, you know, coffee and uh, lunch, and then go bike around and then part ways at the Eco Village. So it was a fun thing, a short ride, uh, you know, do something good in yeah. the neighborhood. Uh. And so we would meet every last Sunday of the month. And in fact, if you go on Facebook, um, just look for it, do a search for Street Librarians Ride, and uh, you can join the group. And they have people who've been, you know, hearing about it and joining, and it's a fun thing. It's an easy pace. It's not too crazy. Wow. Um, 
So you're not yeah. only you're not only doing good for the planet, you're doing good for the the youth, for the the next generation. Actually, you're doing mm-hmm. good for everybody because anybody can everybody. get at these things, right? Right, right. Because we put adult books, we put kid book kid books, we put um, books on politics, books on religion, books on wow. all kinds of things. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I see the events posted on Facebook. I still haven't made it out to one, but... You should, just, you should yeah, do I it. I know, I know. I have some books I could throw in somewhere. Exactly. Yeah. Recycle some books. Yeah. <laughs> and the thing is, you know, every time you go back, all the books are gone. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. That's that's success. Um, so when's the next Street Librarians ride? Is it this Sunday? I think it was last. Sunday. Oh, was it last Sunday? Okay. Yeah, I couldn't do it because I did uh, a fundraising bike ride in Simi Valley, which unfortunately the fires are right there. Oh, so you didn't go yeah. on that? But no, we did. Oh, it, you did? It, the fire was after we rode it. So we rode it on Sunday and the fire started, what was it, Wednesday? Oh, this okay. Week? Okay. Something like that. Yeah, wow. yeah, yeah. Yeah, so I was doing that bike ride out in Simi Valley, and they were doing the Street Librarian ride um, in Echo Park this Sunday. Yeah, so it's always the last Sunday of the month. So Street Librarian's ride meets at Stories last Sunday of the month. It's at 12 noon, right, or 11? Something like that. Yeah. Uh, no, I think it's noonish, and it noon-ish. never starts on time. <laughs> no Everybody bike ride ever does. I know, I know. We're always on bike time, and I'll tell you, afterwards, there's people kicking it. We just love talking about bikes. I mean, I know. I know. Yeah. Well, yeah. Joni, thank you again. I can't wait. Thank you. It was good chatting with you. Yeah. And uh, we should have, we should check in with you every so often. I say that to, I'm saying that to every, we've had some great guests on here. So you're another one. It's going to be great. We're going to edit out all the bloopers. Nick's going to edit. And it's going to be great. We'll put it up on the podcast, and then I'll send you a link on Facebook. Okay. Well, thank you. Yeah. All right. Take care, Joni. You too. Bye-bye. That was Joni Young. She's a a boomer, and she rides bikes like no tomorrow. And I've just been having such a great time talking to Joni and Peter Flax on Bike Talk on KPFK that uh, time gets away. So great conversations, both of you guys. Um, you know, thanks for listening in. Um, we're going to go to podcast. We'll put it up on SoundCloud. Share it with your friends. We're trying to get the hype. You know, make some change in this city. Get back on track and get this city back on track. Let's get public transportation. Let's get cycling. Let's get walking all to the point where they're safe, convenient options for getting around so that not everyone chooses to drive their car everywhere for everything. That's it, man. We need options. So we'll leave you with that. Bike Talk, people, we'll talk to you next week. Pull out the bike and I'm on my way. The transportation shows I care. Every turn of the pedal cleans the air. In the green, I'm saving the planet Just like my friends Daryl, Sean, Toby, and Janet No greenhouse gas A tiny carbon footprint up your ass Thanks for listening to this episode of Bike Talk If you want to hear more, go to kpfk.org Navigate to programs and choose Bike Talk On the Bike Talk page, 
Click on the archives link to play or download shows posted in the last four months. Go to biketalk.com and copy or click on the RSS link to subscribe. Our Twitter handle is BikeTalkPFK. On Facebook, we are Bike Talk. You can become friends and join our group. 